Hey, welcome back to Dear Baseball Gods. This is episode, let me check here, 52. Very exciting. Uh, and if you haven't, there's a couple new options for you to uh, interact here with the show. So number one, obviously these are video episodes and audio episodes. So if you're listening in the audio land, uh, be sure to stop over to YouTube. If you're in iTunes or Stitcher or YouTube land, uh, we are now on Spotify. So if you're a Spotify listener like I am, that's where I get all my uh, my music, uh, the Dear Baseball Gods podcast and the Twinsies podcast, which is currently on hiatus with Lucas Cook, my business partner, and myself. Those are both on Spotify now. So if that's convenient for you, uh, which it is for me, not that I listen to my own podcast, I don't, but um, I like the Spotify platform. So if you haven't checked it out there, feel free to check it out there and, and subscribe. Um, also, if you want to sponsor the show, there's a lot of ways you can do that in uh, the YouTube comments and on the episode um, and on the episode details for each of these. So in this episode, I want to touch on a really good question that was uh, actually asked to me by my assistant coach McLean while we were out uh, having wings the other night. And his question was, uh, how much did you rely on scouting reports and how much do pitchers in general rely on scouting reports? And uh, it's a it's a good question because there's a lot more to it than just scouting reports. And it comes back to this topic that I spoke last year at uh, Mike Reynolds elite baseball performance uh, pitching seminar, which is about knowing yourself as a pitcher, your strengths, your weaknesses, how they match up with hitters, um, and what helps you play up and down as a pitcher. So um, let's start with scouting reports. So number one, I never played in the major leagues, obviously. So I never had access to whatever those scouting reports look like. But a lot of my teammates have played at that level. I've had a lot of conversations with them. Basically what they said is that scouting reports are available, you know, as basically as much as you could possibly want to know, you can find out. And then they said some guys like to look through them, some guys study them, and then some guys don't want to, they don't even want that brought near them. And some guys are very adamant about that. And uh, I hope I'm not wrong on this, but I'm pretty sure I remember that Chris Sale is one of those guys, obviously tremendously successful major leaguer. He just dominates everybody that he was one of those guys who's like, just keep that away from me. I don't want to know about that. And there, I've heard that similar story about a lot of big league pitchers. And the rationale is that pitchers want to throw with conviction 100% of the time. You want to f- believe that the pitch you're going to throw is the right pitch and that you're going to throw it to the absolute best of your ability because pitch execution is the number one thing. So whether it's the right pitch or the wrong pitch, if you execute a quality pitch, it's probably going to get the result that you want. So in his case, and again, I don't want to speak for him, but I'm 99.999% sure I read that in an article. So um, in his case, it's just a, a matter of like, look, my stuff is good enough. My stuff is good. I'm just going to execute. I'm going to trust my catcher, and I'm going to take the thinking part out of it and just focus on execution. And that's a pretty good way to go about it. I mean, to be perfectly honest, you don't have to. What I tell the youth pitchers that I work with is they should have a reason behind every pitch that they throw. And I firmly believe that. And as they get older, the reasoning behind any pitch is going to be more correct than not. And when they're young, uh, I often I ask, I often ask them, why did you throw that pitch? And they go, oh, I, don't, I just wanted to mix it up or I don't know. Um, I felt like he was maybe on to me, stuff like that. Those aren't valid reasons. I, don't, I just wanted to mix it up. That's just like if you're baking a cake, you wouldn't just like throw random ingredients in there. Everything has a purpose, even though a recipe is somewhat arbitrary, like you know, if it's a half cup of chocolate chips, it could have been a third cup, could have been three quarters of a cup, could have been chocolate chunks, could have been white chocolate, or well, it could be a lot of different things, right? Ultimately, it was someone's recipe that they decided, but 
there's also core components like you know i'm not going to get too deep into cooking but obviously you can't make a cookie without sugar you can't make it up without flour you know there's certain things that bind the ingredients and make the whole thing uh, make sense so those are the the core concepts that i want pitchers that i work with to understand that they need to know there are valid reasons for throwing a pitch and then there's invalid reasons and really just the invalid reasons are hunches and they're just like i think i should do this or i thought i should do that or whatever now i just want them to take as much subjectivity out of it as possible and granted there's a lot of subjectivity there's a lot there are a tremendous amount of times when i didn't know which pitch to throw and we'll cover that in a second so sometimes it was just if you don't know what to throw i throw to my strength you know, like i'm good at executing down away with my fastball so when i don't know what to throw that's sort of my default and that's okay like i didn't have a good read and i chose to throw this pitch because i'm good at it because it's a good pitch for me because i'm i can make that pitch that's a valid reason but to say oh well i you know i went away because you know i had gone in a couple times so i thought maybe i'd go away um there should be a little bit more definitive of a reason than that and then obviously there needs to be a back and forth between pitchers and catchers which we'll cover more in detail as well but the foundation is having a good reason for everything that you do and every pitch that you throw and so there's lots of different factors so some of the factors are the inning the team you're playing, the hitter you're, who's a bat, what the hitter's done that day, what you've read into the hitter's swing, um, the catcher, what is he capable of doing, what has the umpire been calling. I don't like those two as any more than like a very minuscule factor because you shouldn't throw to the umpire and you shouldn't pander to your catcher. So if your catcher can't block stuff, unless the game is getting just like messy because if a ball goes in the dirt, you just everyone goes around like a circus, you really just shouldn't worry about that. You still need to execute your pitch. Um, other factors include the situations where the runner's on base, what's the score, is there a base open, is there not a base open, how do you feel that day, are you well rested, is your fastball good, is your changeup good, is your curveball good, is one of them junk, is two of them junk, or is everything junk? Um, all those factors can come into play, and there is a tremendous amount of information, just like anything in life, there's a lot, the older you get and the more experience you get, the faster you make these really complex decisions. So. And that's what we call, in a sense, just slowing the game down. So slowing the game down really means I can process more data and make a calm decision about it. So when I was younger, uh, and when you listen to me talk about holding runners, I'll tell you that I couldn't hold runners. I didn't know how to hold runners until I was like 27. Obviously, I knew how to throw to first base and pick, do pickoffs and do all that stuff when I was 12, right, 13. But where I really had a extremely good awareness of when I had to pick over and had a plan and really just was completely in control just like probably like a, a new teacher teaching a, a kindergarten class you know in a kindergarten class it's like chaos little kids everywhere they have so much energy they're doing all this stuff all of them need to learn everything about being a human being and uh, I'm sure that first year as a kindergarten teacher is probably just chaotic and then the next year is a lot easier and then the next year is a lot easier and then at, over time I'm sure teachers have just this ability to just like scan the room and they just know that kid needs this, this kid needs that. I responded this, this way, this, that way, this way. Like everything just gets, I'm sure, monumentally easily, more easy over time, right? Just like anything. But on the mound, it's a very chaotic environment, even though it seems very calm and quiet, but there's tons of information. Again, what's the score? What's, uh, where are my fielders? Who's running? How fast is he? Who's hitting? How fast is he? Who's hitting? How good is his swing? What's he done this day? Um, what's the count? What's the situation? Uh, have I faced this hitter before? 
Who's on deck? Who's in the hole? All these factors. There's tons of them. And then on any given pitch, do I need to pick over? Should I hold? How long did I hold last pitch? How long should I hold this pitch? There's just a lot of stuff going on. And so when a pitcher goes out there and he's holding runners, for example, and he goes one 1,000 any pitches and one 1,000 any pitches, he, he knows that he's probably been taught at some point, and not everyone has, that, hey, you got to vary your timing. So it's three seconds, then pitch. Then it's two seconds, then pick off. Then it's one second, then pitch. Then it's four seconds, then pick off. Then it's four seconds, then pitch. Then it's two seconds, then pick off. That's a good way to keep runners at bay. It's one of the absolute most important things you can do is vary your timing. And yet, when pitchers are taught that over and over and over, and they do it some games, or they do it 90% of the game, and then they forget about it in a key moment, and a runner steals easily because you came set, won 1,000 and pitched, you came set, won 1,000 and pitched, you came set, and then you, you pitched, and he stole easily. It's like, why did you forget at that moment? It's because there's so much going on, and the last little bit of focus that you had that you would have normally allocated to holding that runner was focused on the fact that this is a really big situation. This is a key hitter up at bat, and he's tough, and what am I doing? So, again, the best pitchers have extra bandwidth. They have so much bandwidth to they can just handle all that. They never really run out where it's like I was so focused on the hitter that I forgot about the runner. I was so focused on the runner that I, I left the ball over the plate. I was so worried about this that I forgot about that. The older you get and the more experienced you get and just the better you are mentally, the more you can balance all that stuff out and make really sound decisions with everything that's going on around you. And you're not flustered by it. And you're not, the game's not speeding up too much, right? You get a comebacker, you know where to go with it. You know, you get a ball to the right side, you know it's yours, you go to first with it. You know, like all these decisions happen really, really fast. So back to scouting reports. So the key, the key reason some guys do or don't use scouting reports is, again, number one, some guys just want to go out there and pitch their game because they know their strengths, they know their weaknesses, and they would rather just go through it on a day-to-day basis and not know that, okay, this guy loves to pull inside fastballs. This guy, can, this guy loves to go opposite way, or this guy's really good at hitting a breaking ball. This guy will do this on no two counts. Those thoughts can sometimes be very – they can cause – like a cacophony in your brain of like, well, so I'll give you an example. A lot of times we'll be in the bullpen and this is what this typical scouting report that I got, which was just my bullpen mates talking about what hitters could do. Oh, I played with this guy before. Oh, you know, I faced him a bunch last season. This is what he can do. This is what he can't. Okay. But so for me personally, I was a 90, 94 reliever. I had a high spin rate. So I could really throw my ball, my fastball by guys, even though it wasn't like super duper fast. I pitched in the middle of the zone, in the middle of the plate. I pitched inside and I pitched up, and I'd bounce my curveball and I'd throw my change up to either lefties or righties. But really, I my strikeout pitch was my fastball, elevated fastball and inside fastball. That was where I got all my outs. So that's me. Now, say we have another pitcher who's talking. He's 89 to 91, average spin. You know, he'll get some fastballs by guys, but he can't pitch like I can. He has to pitch on the corners. He had to, there was a slider, and he's, there was an okay changeup, whatever. He's just fundamentally a different pitcher than I am. So he says, yeah, I mean, like, this guy's really good inside fastball hitter. Like, go away from him. How do, I, how do I use that information? So that was what worked for him. And a scout could see that, you know, say a scout sees this hitter for 15 at-bats, and he sees him over seven different pitchers. And most of these pitchers are going to be in the bell curve, where they're not going to have, like, crazy high spin rate like I kind of had, they're not going to have crazy sync. 
or they're not going to have an Andrew Miller slider. Like, again, most people are, like, in the middle, right? Um, I'm not saying I was perfect because I certainly wasn't. Like, my command wasn't off the charts. Like, everyone – like, I didn't make it to the major leagues for a reason. So I'm not saying that I was above other guys, but I had a unique sort of skill set. So the scouting report's going to come in. Okay, he's got curveball down. He's really good with hitting. He's, you know, don't go inside. He's got really fast hands, whatever. How do I take that information when I'm a guy who pitches inside for a living – and that's my strength, and I'm good at it, and I can I can get fastballs by guys inside, even when they're good inside fastball hitters. So you know, teammate, just call him Matt. Matt says, "Hey, don't go into this guy because he'll you know he took me deep. He can pull his hands in. He's really got really fast hands. And you probably want to go away from him." I get hurt going away. I got hurt going away my whole career, down away, unless it was like literally on the black, like that outside half of the plate was a bad half for me, and the bottom third of the zone was a bad spot for me. So you go, okay, now you're out there. It's a tight game. Say it's a 1-2 a count or 1-1 one, one count. For me on 1-1, one, one, I usually go inner third. Just I try to get guys to make weak contact by jamming them, and they put the ball in play. And if they don't, now I'm 1-2. I can go elevate fastball, strike them out. I can bounce a curveball, strike them out, and go inside again. I can do a lot of different things. That's kind of me. So, okay, game's on the line. It's a one-run lead. There's a runner on second base, two outs. 1-1 one, one count, this guy who can really hit an inside fastball is up. Do I pitch him inside? If no one tells me otherwise, there's, like, there's no scouting report, I don't know who this guy is, I'm going to bust him inside because that's what I'm good at, that's my strength, and that is difficult for the vast majority of hitters. Do I get beat inside sometimes? Sure. Uh, but in this case, now I've got a little birdie in my ear that says, don't go inside, Dan. This pitcher told you, if you go inside and he... And he pulls it and drills it, you're going to feel real stupid because they told you not to and you're going to do it anyway. Uh, maybe this safe play is to go away because the scouting report said to go away and take your chances there. Well, do I want to take my chances with my weakness, which is going away, or do I want to take my chance with my strength, which is going in? The problem is my weakness is the hitter's strength, or I'm sorry, my, my, uh, my strength is the hitter's strength, my weakness is the hitter's weakness. Which do I do? Do I choose weakness on weakness or strength on strength? But the big key factor, the problem here in this scenario is that I have some cognitive dissonance where what I should do and what others are telling me to do and what I know is probably the right decision for me because I'm unique and I'm not, you know, Johnny Average on the scouting report or whoever they, you know, like... Again, this is a composite of a lot of different pitchers. They're assembling information to say, Johnny Average pitcher should probably pitch this guy this way, or this is these are the habits of this of this hitter against most pitchers, right? You wouldn't write a scouting report based on how one hitter hits against Aroldis Chapman because it would be like, just throwing fastballs down the middle, right? Or, but anyway, so it can ruin your conviction in a pitch when you're second guessing yourself when someone says don't do this but you're really good at doing that right so uh that's part of the reason some pitchers don't want to mess with scouting reports now i would always listen but in this scenario you know what i would do i would just go in because it's like if i'm going to get beat i'm going to get beat with what i'm good at i'm not going to just go the sort of the coward's route even though that might be the safe pitch because i know that a, I'm not as good at getting the ball. Say it's a righty, a way to a righty. That's my one of my weaknesses too. One of my locations. I'm a good arm side, not as good glove side. Uh, and B, 
that's location that I frequently get hurt in. So when the game's on the line, I'm not going to choose to pitch to my weakness, even if it's his weakness. I'm going to pitch to my strength, even if it's his strength, and like, screw it, let's do this. That's kind of how it is. And then it comes down to trusting your stuff and trusting that you're good enough that, and again, it always goes back to the old adage, like good pitching beats good hitting, right? Even good hitters, it's only three out of 10 times they get a hit, right? So I'm going to take my chances that way. So that's, that's one dynamic between the scouting report, which is like the little angel on your shoulder, like you should do this. And then the devil who's like, no, like bust through that wall yourself. So that's part of the issue. Now, there are a lot of times where you have to remember that hitter, hitter approaches change. So there was an example um, in, I think, my 2015 season where we were facing uh, one of the bottom teams in the league, but they had a, obviously every team has good players on it, and I was pitching the eighth inning, which was my role. It was a one-run game, and runner on second, and uh, I don't remember how many outs, but it's like their three or four hole hitter who's kind of a wild swinger and he'll swing at a ball in his, at his eyeballs. He'll wave at a curveball in the dirt. So I've been watching the game and I watched him strike out twice on curveballs in the dirt and uh, said, okay. So I get it, get out there. And I think I'm like one, two on him. I have a base open and flashback to those curveballs. He's waved at, and I faced this guy a couple of times before and I've struck him out on breaking balls in the dirt. I've also struck him out on fastballs up. I also know I could probably throw it anywhere and he might swing at it. I could throw it in the other batter's box and he might, might swing at it. Uh, but in this case, I threw him a curveball. It was not down the, it was borderline ball strike. It was probably a ball. It was a little bit below the strike zone. And what my teammates had told me and what the our manager who was a former catcher and other like basically like hey this guy's got kind of long arms like physically he just had long arms and he's got kind of a loopy swing and his barrel kind of lives in the bottom of the zone because he's got these long arms and he like with two strikes kind of waits on breaking balls a little bit and he's pretty good at hitting breaking balls so they said you know like when you get ahead you probably don't want to finish him off with a breaking ball so okay but i'd seen him swing at two breaking balls earlier that game strike out twice so, okay, don't throw him a breaking ball when you're ahead in the count because he's, A, looking for it, and B, good at hitting him. Uh, I'd seen him strike out twice on breaking balls. And then the third piece of information is I am not great at throwing my breaking ball exactly where I want it. So those three pieces of information, what did I choose? I threw him a breaking ball, bottom of the zone, he smacked it up the middle, scored the game-tying run. Uh, I come out of that inning and mount it myself. But teammates are like, dude, you're stupid. Why'd you throw him that pitch? I'm like, I thought I could bounce it. They're like, okay, you could have bounced it and you could have struck him out. You're right. But the margin for error for throwing that pitch was probably way, 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 way lower than throwing a fastball basically anywhere because the guy doesn't have the fastest bat in the world. And he, if he's waiting on breaking balls a little bit, he's like getting, he's making his bat even slower because he's waiting a little bit longer. And he's also just a free swinger and he's kind of got a hole in his swing up. I'm like, yeah, you're right. Probably wrong pitch. Like, you know, it could have been, you could have still got out of it, but you just, like, you had to bounce, you like absolutely had to put it in the dirt and you didn't. Like, yep, you're right. So anytime there's a couple like little flashball memories, I remember that because I was called basically stupid. Guys were like, you're an idiot. Like that was, that was a stupid thing to do, like what you just did. Like, why'd you do that? And I don't like having my intelligence and my baseball IQ challenge and everyone, everyone's gets challenged at certain points, but they really stick out in my memory. So that was a moment where all these different 
pieces of information were butting heads in my brain and I chose wrong. So knowing that my fastball was my strength, probably should have just gone up the ladder. Either way, you live and learn. So scouting reports are a piece of the puzzle if you want them to be. And I think they should be. I think it's relevant to know what a guy has done against you before, how he did it, how you pitched to him, so that you, because, and so there's a difference between scouting report, which is like, again, we never got scouting reports, but guys in the bullpen talk. And when you listen to one pitcher's perspective on a hitter, it's always based on his unique stuff. So got a guy thrown in, you know, say it's like a submarine guy and he throws 80, 85 from down here. Do you listen to his scouting report? Say you got a guy who throws fuel, you know, like 95, 96. Do you listen to his scouting report? You know, like, do you listen to a guy like me who I throw three, one fastballs down the middle and because my ball spins so fast, guys will just like swing and miss and they'll be like, wait, how did I not hit that pitch? Like, do you listen to my scouting report? Like I pitch a unique way. This guy pitches a unique way. You just kind of have to sort of take all of it in, in stride. And then when you don't know, maybe you use it. And if you do know, but it doesn't fit your strengths and your weaknesses, then maybe use it or maybe you don't. But at the end of the day, the number one thing you want is to throw every pitch that you have with all of your conviction to not say, I'm not sure. I'm gonna, so I'm going to go with what they say I should throw. It should be what you in your heart know you should throw. And if you don't know what to throw, you should make a choice and a decision and have a reason that gives you again, conviction. So like, okay, I don't want to throw and scouting reports conflicting in my brain. Uh, what am I good at? I'm really good at making inside. I can execute inside. Boom. Let's just do it. Cause if I'm going to go down, it's just like, let's go down swinging. You know what I mean? So that's, that's kind of long and the short of do pitchers use scouting reports. And if they do, why? And if they don't, why? Because it can just, you just don't want to have conflicting views of what you should do when important situations come up. Now, the best thing that you can do is to analyze as you go, to take some information from other hitters so that you don't go out there naked. So you go out there with some kind of idea of like what, so for me, I liked hearing like, okay, yeah, this guy's got a slow bat or he's got a loopy swing. And if a guy doesn't throw as hard as I do, and he says, this guy's got a slow bat, good info. Because if it's slow bat to that guy, then it's going to be definitely slow bat to me. If the guy throws a lot harder, then you have to take, you know, slow bat with a grain of salt. Everyone has a slow bat compared to Raldis Chapman, right? So uh, those are good factors. Um, does a pitcher have a average curveball? And is he like, yeah, this guy can't hit a curveball. Okay, my curveball is pretty sharp compared to the average. I don't throw it for a strike that well, but I chance I can throw it and he'll wave at it. Um, so all that stuff's important, but then getting a read on the hitter. So you want to figure out the key things you want to figure out are how aggressive are they early in the count? How, what, how does their approach change as the bat wears on? Cause that's going to be constant to most pitchers probably. Um, what does their swing look like? Where does their barrel live in the zone? Those are important aspects. So when I say, where does your barrel live in the zone? It's like, is a, is it like a David Eckstein kind of hitter where he's always kind of like trying to go away? He's looking middle out and his swing plane is kind of flat, you kind of say that his barrel lives out in like a little flat strip, maybe on the outer half of the plate. Or is it like a Chris Bryant where he kind of has like a, a, a steeper, oh, what's the hitting term for it? A steeper like attack angle, and he's a good bottom of the zone hitter. His barrel kind of lives in the bottom of the zone. So I say he can't hit a pitch up because he can, 
But if he has a hole in his swing, you'd probably say that Chris Bryant's hole in his swing is like up and kind of like up and in. So where does their barrel tend to live? So like in this example with the, the guy who hit the single to the middle, I mean, his barrel definitely lived in the bottom of the zone. He had long arms and kind of a loopy swing and kind of a slow swing. So that's kind of where you could sometimes just run into his bat. So like for a lefty hitter, their barrel often lives like in the down, down and in sort of quadrant of the plate. So that's kind of often like a no-no zone where you can really get hurt. And if you're just guessing and you don't know, you don't like I don't know which where to throw this guy. I've never faced him before. Brand new stance looks pretty like normal. Um, you gauge how big he is, how small he is. Like, what do you think he could do? You probably just don't go default like low and into a lefty or like middle into a lefty. Obviously, middle ends everyone's happy zone. So you try to read them as best you can. So number one, where does their barrel live in the zone? Number two. Uh, what does their swing look like? Does does it look like it has like it has a loop to it? Does it look really short and uh, kind of like opposite field approachy? Does it look really powerful? Is it are they like a free swinger? How hard do they swing? What does it look like they're trying to do when they take a swing? Does it look like they're trying to go yard? Does it look like they're just trying to fillet a line drive into right field? Does it look like they're trying to stay up the middle and go to the gaps? Those are all important pieces of info that give you an idea of how bad you're likely to get hurt if you miss over the plate, right? So if I'm 2-0 to a guy who it's clear that he's trying to take me deep, if he's 2-0, my approach is gonna be a little bit different. If I have a little, you know, like one or eight hole or nine hole hitter up, or even a two hole hitter who it's clear that he's like not a super big guy and he's like an opposite field approach guy, I'm not super worried about piping one 2-0 because at worst it's probably a double. Once in a while it's probably a home run, but most of the time he's probably just gonna shoot a line drive somewhere not the end of the world. It's not that big of a deal, right? So those are all important pieces of information to consider how badly am I likely to hurt? And again, sometimes it does come back to hurt you. So there was a, a player that um, bounced around the Atlantic League for like 10 years. He played in the big leagues with the Red Sox and he's in his 40s now. Uh, his name is Bryant Nelson. So he's a nice guy. So he's out there. Sup, Nelly. But I, he killed me he had a bomb off me and a double off me. And I remember the bomb that I gave up to him because it was, it was like the first, or like the second pitch of an inning, I think. And it like tied the game up. And uh, it was just like a 1-0 fastball. And I just didn't think he could hurt me. And he had a pretty good read on me. He was a smart enough guy. And uh, I just like piped one bottom third of the middle of the plate. And he just took me hard. I'm like, God. And so sometimes you can let your guard down when you don't feel like a guy can hurt you. That happens too. But most of the time, you uh, and I and I can like I have, a, I have a, again like a flashball memory of that of that pitch, and it was just a time where I I was just like okay one zero there you go, and he just destroyed it. Uh, where if it was like one zero coming at you with some conviction, there's a difference in the way you throw those two pitches. So I probably could have like snuck it by him or maybe just whatever. It just doesn't he doesn't hit it out. But there was like a I let my guard down to that too. So even when you have a guy who probably can't hurt you probably won't hurt you. You still don't want to let your guard down. You still have to be convicted in every pitch you throw. I remember I threw a, a 3-0 fastball when I was pitching for Fargo. This was my second year as a pro pitcher. And I was playing Lincoln. And I remember this very vividly too because I had never had a guy, I don't think to that point in my career, swing at a 3-0 pitch. And the guy I threw this 3-0 pitch to, because I was all messed up and I had a terrible year. I was not pitching well at all. And uh, it was this guy who played, I think, linebacker for Florida, University of Florida. And then he also was a uh, 
obviously a, a baseball player for Florida. So two sport athlete for Florida, um, really strong looking African American guy. And, uh, I just piped a three Oh fastball. Like, okay, here's my cookie. Cause it's three Oh, and no one ever swings 88. And he just absolutely destroyed it to dead center, 400 feet away. And it got out of the ballpark. Like, like so fast, I could barely like see it leaving by the, by the time I turned my head. I was like, oh, okay. So I guess I got to throw three O pitches even with conviction. So, you know, like that's important, an important part of it too. But it's easy to let your guard down with some hitters than others. And sometimes you get hurt like that. Like there's, besides those two moments, there have been a number of other times where you let your guard down and a guy who's probably only good for a single takes you for a double. Or like in this case with uh, Nelly, usually good for just a single, maybe a double, but he hit one of his like six home runs that year off me because I let my guard down, he was ready, and he was ready. And you probably saw it. He probably smelled it out. So those things happen. But you want to know where their barrel lives in the zone. What kind of hitter are they? What are they typically trying to do? And, again, at higher levels of baseball, guys have pretty defined roles where leadoff hitters are not trying to take you deep. And if they are, they're very stupid people because they usually don't have the power to do it, and they fly out a lot. Um, So you kind of know that based on body type and all this other stuff. But there's also just some big guys that don't have a home run approach. There's also some little guys that – are prepared to just yoke one if they get the chance. So it just depends. Beyond that, again, looking for swing holes. Where are they set up on the plate? So if they're really far off the plate, it's tougher to pitch inside of those guys if they don't die. I mean, assuming they don't dive in, if they're farther off the plate than normal, the inside part of the plate is going to expose a little more of their barrel. But obviously going away is going to uh, be a little tougher for them to reach sometimes. So most hitters set up in mostly the same spot, but there's, there are some variations where you're like, man, that guy's really far off the plate. Does my inside fastball that comes in for a strike have the same effect as normal? And the answer is no. So but there's always give and take with them. So you have to take that stuff into account. So and then reading hitters' reactions, reading their swings. So for me, I, and I still think there's a lot of value in just – competing on the first pitch down the middle of the plate it's not right in every situation by any means it's not right for every pitcher but if you have a enough velocity you can just do a bat speed check and that's what I did because again I my fastball had some weird special stuff going on where it just again I think it's high spin rate I was never like clocked on a track man or rapsodo or flight scope but it was clear that when you talk about the qualities of a high spin rate fastball, that was what I had. I went 10 innings once without getting a single ground ball out. So guys wouldn't hit the ball on the ground. They'd swing under it. They'd pop it up. Anything above the belt, they just could not barrel up. And uh, they would just swing through 2-0 and 3-1 fastball sometimes. And it just didn't make any sense. I'd throw it literally right down the middle, and they'd swing over. So um, sometimes, well, a lot of the time, I would just throw the first pitch as hard as I could freaking throw it right down the middle of the plate. This is like a bat speed check for me because if you throw it on the outside corner and they swing and they foul it off, can you tell if they're late or not? Not really because when it's on the outside corner of the plate, the only place they're going to foul it off is that the other way, right? And yet, if you throw it right down the middle and they foul it off that way, now you know their barrel wasn't far enough into the zone when they made contact. It was too deep on the plate. So now you know, okay, I throw one right down the middle and he can't get his barrel to it. So if I go inside, he has even less chance of getting his barrel to it. So it gives you good and relevant information. But if you throw in the corner, you don't really know if he fouled off because of location or because of his bat speed. You still need like another pitch, even though that was a good quality pitch to figure it out if that's the right way to go. Now, so take that scenario. First pitch on the outside corner around the black, beautiful pitch, fouls it off. What do you do now? 
throw the same pitch, you wouldn't throw back over the middle. You throw the same pitch, you could switch pitches, you go inside. Those are kind of your options. If you throw your first pitch right down the middle and you get a late swing, you go in, go off-speed pitch, but off-speed pitch might be what? Because if his barrel is late in the zone, his barrel might catch up because you're throwing him a slower pitch. That's called speeding their bat up. Um, so your probably best bet is going in with the fastball and sticking with it until it doesn't work. Say you go first pitch right down the middle and he just ambushes it and smashes it down the line. Well, how did he swing at it? Did he clearly like get started early to like cheat and that's why he yanked it foul? Or did he see it pretty deep and he just got really fast hands and smoked it foul because he could? Those are two different things too. So again, your mission on all of this is to like find as many little objective truths as you can to say, okay, this hitter can do this or can't do that. I can do this or can't do that. How can what I can do mesh up, or mesh up or match up with what he can and can't do? And with every pitch, you're, you're analyzing again, and you're just taking a, a, re, a reevaluation of what the next best pitch is and why. And again, sometimes in that outside corner scenario, you know, like, well, what do you throw next and why? Well, you can throw a slider, but okay, but why? Well, because I want to mix it up. Well, why? Right? It's like you start to lose reasons. And every, the best thing you can do is when you throw one pitch, that pitch is going to give you some piece of information where it makes it clear, even if that reason is very minute and not important, it, but it's clear that I'm going to do this now on the next pitch because of this. And obviously you're going to miss your spot a ton of the time. So you might try to go away and you go in and the guy, and he takes this really ugly swing that makes it clear that he's not comfortable with an inside fastball. Okay, I missed my spot, but it still gave me information. So he was really not looking good on that one. So I'm just going to do that again. And then you throw the fastball in there again, and you hit your spot. And he just, again, takes a really ugly, ugly swing. So what do you do now? Well, what I tell most of the pitchers I work with is that, especially at amateur baseball, and this includes college, hitters don't make miraculous adjustments. They don't just be like, take a horrendous, ugly swing, and then suddenly... On the next pitch, they just like fixed everything and just take you deep on that same pitch. A pitch has to get better from pitch to pitch. So if you go in or third and they're late, if you throw inside again, you probably need to be a little better than in or third, or at the very least, exactly in or third again, because they're going to start to adjust at some point. So if you throw a curveball down the middle for a strike, your next pitch should not be another curveball right down the middle for a strike. It should be migrating down and away, you know, glove side, third, something like that. So, uh, the pitch improves from pitch to the next. So now, because the after every pitch, there's like this adjustment period where they saw that, they tried to hit it and couldn't, so now their brain's doing little math or whatever physics to say, okay, I'm going to, if he throws that again, I'm going to be a little more ready for it. And sometimes they literally never adjust, and you have to just continue to push that same button. So a lot of times the analogy I'll use with young pitchers is, all right, so you're playing in a video game, or you're playing a video game, and... You go through the level, and at the end, there's a boss, right? Whether you're playing like X-Men or Ninja Turtles or any of these outdated games that kids never play anymore, there's a boss. And especially as the game gets farther on, the late levels where it's really hard, you don't know what hurts the boss, right? You like punch it or you like throw whatever, you stab it with your stabby thing. And it like doesn't have much effect. It doesn't have the same effect as the regular person, right? But then you like realize, oh, if I throw my throwing star in the boss's eyeball... He like, you know, it takes a big hit of his health. So what do you do then? 
you just like keep doing that same thing until he dies, right? You just like dance around and like throw another star in his eye. Dance around, throw another star in his eye. And you have a, a plan now. You just keep trying to push that button until you win the level. That's how video games work in a nutshell, right? And it's the same the same is largely true for hitting. So when I was a when I was pitching, you know, like if a guy couldn't get around inside fastball, he's just getting a large dose of inside fastballs until he's either out or he's put the ball in play or he makes an adjustment. I mean, like you don't have to deviate from the plan until they prove that the plan doesn't work. So you throw a change up right down the middle and they just take a horrendous, like super early, awful, awful swing. Like you had a great change up. Great. So what do you do now? Well, you know, I just wanted to switch. I want to mix it up. I, no, throw another change up. Just throw it slightly better. So maybe throw it a little bit more down so it could still be middle. Another horrendous swing. What do you do now? Throw him another change up. Or, but this is where, again, it gets a little complex, mind you. you you're not going to throw the guy five changes in a row. So with fastballs, you can throw as many as you want in a row, whatever. Uh, but with off-speed pitches, it's a little bit different. You could, you could throw him a third change up. But if you miss that third change up, this is the caveat. You have to plan a little bit ahead sometimes. You miss that third change up, what do you do now? He's seen three change-ups, and he finally put on the brakes and held up on the third one. Do you throw him a fourth change-up? He's seen three of them in a row, and he kind of smells that you know that he can't hit it. So he's probably more likely to hit a change-up at this point than he is a fastball. So now we switch pitches. We go fastball. We bust him inside. Ball. We miss. What do we do now? Well, we have a lot of options. We could now go back to the change-up because we know he can't hit that, but now he just got a fastball that sped him back up, and now he's seen two pitches, and he's not sure what could come. Now we could go back to the pitch that he's shown that he's not good at hitting, right? Um, rather than throwing a third and then a fourth changeup in a row. So sometimes it's that same thing. So sometimes, all right, change up, change up, two ugly swings. Well, I could go on this third one, but if I miss the third one, I'm not going to be able to throw a fourth one. Now I'm going to have to throw him a fastball that he probably wants to hit. So let's switch pitches now and go to the fastball. And then I'll come back, change up, change up again. So change up, change up, fastball, change up, change up. And I'm pretty sure I'll get him out on one of those two. So it's kind of like something like anything else where sometimes you'll keep like your, uh, you'll keep like the kill pitch in your back pocket because you know, you can come back to it. So if you use them all up early, again, going back to video game analogies, if you have like a, a standard little pistol and like a big gun, you know, like you could use the big gun early or you could probably save it till later when you might need it more. So that can kind of be true too. I don't know, I'm just kind of spitballing about pitch calling, but you know, with all this scouting report stuff, so when we do simulated pitch stuff in the winter with my pitchers, we will, uh, I'll say, hey, all right, got a big guy, he can't hit a curveball. So what do they start him? So then they call the sequence and it's curveball, curveball, first two pitches. It's like, okay, well, now you're one-on-one. Or now you're 0-2, what do you throw him now? Another curveball. Okay, well, what do you, well, you miss. Then what? Well, I'm like, you don't want to throw four curveballs in a row. It's just, like, not really the thing to do, typically. Sometimes it can be, but typically not. Well, then I throw him a fastball. All right, so it's okay. Well, now you threw him what he's not good at early, didn't get him out, and now he gets what he's good at later in the count. Do you feel like that's a good result? And they're like, now... So really, if you know a guy's not good at something, often you'll give him what he is good at early because how many guys take you deep on the first pitch of the bat? Not that often. So like, okay, this guy's not good at hitting a curveball. I've struck him out on one before. I've seen him strike out a bunch today on curveballs. So I'm going to go fastballs early in the count until I get a strike, and then I'm going to throw curveballs until he's dead. So I'll go 
boom, fastball, oops, I missed, ball one, fastball again, strike, all right, well, now we're 1-1, one, one. boom, one, curveball, swings and misses, 1-2, boom, curveball, the bat's over, right? I saved the, the, the kill pitch for the end. So with scouting reports, all that stuff, um, and just like having some, an idea can get you farther along. So if we're like, we know this guy can't hit off speed, or we know this guy's got a slow bat, let's not throw him too many fastballs early so we can throw him fastballs late when his slow bat really matters because we want his slow bat to rear its head when he's got two strikes when he's gonna make when he's gonna swing and put the ball in play right a lot of guys don't even swing on the first pitch so you throw them what they don't want to hit on the first pitch they're happy they didn't swing so all that stuff is a big balancing act like pitching is fascinating it's extremely complicated at times and it can be incredibly simple at times i mean like when i sum up again i sum up myself as an example I got guys out by just like competing on the first pitch down the middle. I'd go in, I'd go up, I'd bounce a breaking ball or a changeup. And that was it. That was like how I got almost everybody out. Because I knew I was good at that stuff and I just ignored the stuff that I wasn't good at. I wasn't good at going into lefties. I wasn't good at differentiating my curveball. So I just kind of kept my curveball. I'd probably try to either throw it for called first strike or I'd bounce it because I wasn't good at feeling for the in-between. Kind of the same thing with my changeup. I'd throw changeups, bury them in the in the bottom third down into a righty or down away to a lefty when I wanted them to put the ball in play or I wanted to strike them out. I didn't throw them a ton early in the count. So for me, like I've, I figured myself out later in my career and it made a huge difference because I had like, like I knew what weapons I was going to take into battle. So when everyone's offering me other ones, like, no, I, I know I can handle myself with just I keep using all these violence analogies and I, I apologize for that, but like, it's like, I know I'm good with just my nunchucks, <laughs> but if you want to give me like a throwing star once in a while, I'll use it, maybe, but I know I'm good with what I'm going into battle with. And that's a really key, important thing to do because when you start trying to make your catcher happy or your scouting report happy and throw what other people think you should throw because that's what they threw or that's what they've seen other people throw, it just gets really confusing and it slows the decision-making process. It makes you less convicted about what pitch you're going to throw. And that's really a lot of what matters. Um, the last thing I'll mention is catchers. So, and this is where pitch calling really does matter. And I talked to one of our pitchers about this earlier. because he has two pitch catchers on his team. And one, and both are very good catchers. But one of them calls a certain kind of game that he's used to. And another calls a different kind of game that he's used to. Because they both come from different schools and different high schools. And the way they're brought up is different. So, and I've felt this too personally where, you know, like... It just depends which catcher I'm going to get because it could be our starting catcher. It could be our backup catcher. You know, if you're on a team where both catchers are relatively equal, they'll split more time. So there's more likely you'll get one or the other. I'm sorry. It's less likely you'll get one or the other. You'll get more even split of both. So you might have 10 outings in a month and throw to one guy five times, another guy five times. And you might really gel with the one guy and not so much with the other. And so for me, this happened one season where one of my catchers, understood how I pitched and I talked to both of them about it but one of them understood more how I pitched and so it was my game plan was his game plan so he called what the pitch that I was basically just ready to tell him that I wanted the other catcher called the game of like other pitchers on my team like he was always like going away first pitch or going away second pitch or like let's go to the breaking ball one a one-on-one it's like that's not me that's but like and at the same time it's also makes you question whether your read on a hitter in a situation is the right one. Because if he's saying, 
we should do fastball away. And you're like, I'm pretty sure we should do fastball in. Why does he think we should go away? What am I missing? Do I, does he know something that I don't? Because catchers often do. I mean, catchers are smart people, and they read. They're right up there with the hitter. They're with the umpire. Like, they see a lot of what's going on. So it, it can confuse you when someone's like, you should do this. And you're like, I thought I should do this. You're like, wait, wait what, if, what if he's right and I'm wrong? And then you're just, again, you're second-guessing yourself out there on the mound, and you're not as convicted. I don't know if convicted, well, clearly convicted is a word, because that's what happens when you commit a crime. But I don't know if convicted is a word in this sense, but I guess it probably is. Your conviction just, it, it diminishes. And now you're throwing a pitch that you're not fully committed to, and you just, like, don't compete with it the same way. When you're fully committed to the pitch you're about to throw, and you throw it with utter conviction, and you compete with it, that's the best version of whatever pitch you'll throw will ever be. You just don't want to be have any doubts behind any single pitch. And when you're doing it 100 pitches over, it matters because five pitches might be the difference in winning and losing. You know, like runners on second and third, one pitch, boom, single scores two runs, right? That's one pitch scored two runs. Obviously, lots of other others have led up to that point, but one pitch scored two runs. You know, you've seen a guy go seven, seven innings, scoreless, eighth inning, two guys get on, hangs a curveball, guy bangs it into the bleachers, three-run Three-run home run, you're now down three to two. It's like, crap, I pitched seven great innings, made one mistake, and here we are. And that can come back because of conviction. I mean, it can come back because you made a poor decision. It, can, you, it could have been you were ready to throw that pitch, and you just didn't get it. Like, that happens too. But at the same time, just taking one or two or four or five pitches off where you just weren't fully committed to them could be the difference between having a really bad day and a really good day. And in, especially in pro ball, it's very common, like – innings one two three four like it's zero to zero it's one to nothing it's one to one pitchers tend to really cruise through the lineup the first time and they talk about this in the sabermetrics world pitchers um they're significantly better the first time through and then they're not as good the second time through and then they're way worse it's the third time of the order penalty so i, I can't remember the numbers i have it from but say a pitcher is like you bat 250 against a pitcher in the first time through the lineup second time through the lineup it's like 270 Third time through the lineup is like 310. There's a big penalty that third time through the lineup. So um, I don't know why I said that. I just instantly forgot about it or forgot why. But it sounded important. That's that's for sure. Um, but I think my point probably was that, um, you know, that's how pitchers can get hurt later on in the game. So, again, one or two pitches uh, as hitters start to see you more, that you're not fully committed to throwing can make a huge difference. So hopefully uh, this episode was informative about scouting reports and why pitchers choose to throw what they throw. Um, growing into yourself, and this is, again, a, a talk I gave at a, at a pitching conference last October, growing into yourself and knowing yourself as a pitcher is one of the most important things you can do. And it just takes awareness. You have to observe yourself as you're pitching. Connect the dots. What? How do hitters swing against me? Do I give up more fly balls and ground balls? Is it even? Uh, do I get ahead of hitters? Look at your stats. Game changer is fascinating. I was looking at our game changer stats for my organization, the Warbird Senators, and they uh, there's a lot of really interesting command stats, like percentage of times you get an out when you throw a first pitch strike, percentage of times that you walk a guy when you throw a first pitch strike. Uh, lots of just really interesting stuff. There's some interesting stats in there. And it can give you clues about who you are if you need more clues other than just like directly observing the fact that, oh, look, I haven't gotten a ground ball out in like two weeks. I feel like I'm a fly ball pitcher. 
why am I a fly ball pitcher? Well, they say that pitchers with higher spin rates tend to get more fly balls than ground balls. I might be a high spin rate pitcher. They tend, they say that high spin rate pitchers, uh, guys just like miss with their barrel more because the ball stays up compared to a normal pitcher's drop with gravity. So, um, I throw a lot of pitches right down the middle of the plate and guys just like swing through it. And both of us are confused. Like, why didn't I, why didn't you hit a, Why didn't you hit a double on that dude? He's like, why? I don't know why I didn't hit a double either. You start to put it together over time and you, you know, pick up the breadcrumbs and, uh, when you realize that stuff, it gives you just more conviction in throwing what you're throwing. It helps you make better decisions on the mound about what you're throwing, and it will help you optimize your ability. That's the biggest thing. Understanding who you are and and what you do well helps you optimize your ability. If I spent a whole game, if I went seven innings, and that whole seven innings my catcher was throwing, having me throw outside corner to righties and inside to lefties, I can like I don't make that pitch very often. If I go into a lefty ten times, I hit that spot three times. Like, I'm going to give up 11 runs if, if the whole game is spent in me trying to go to my glove side of the plate. So, sure, I work in the bullpen to try to fix that. But the reality is I'm still better to one side than the other. So let's just go to my strengths where I'm good. And if I go inside to a guy, I can make that pitch on the, on the inner third or better, let's say, seven out of ten times. You know, whatever it is. Uh, and when I miss, I'll miss where I'm safe versus missing over the plate where I get hurt. Right? So it's not just your hits like your execution, but also your misses. Because good pitchers, when they miss, they miss in a zone where they don't get hurt. So all those sort of things, and you observing yourself and saying, this is what I do well, this is what I'm capable of, so let's work on this stuff in the bullpen and practice and in, in my catch so that I can improve on it, but this is still what I'm best at. You know, it's like, again, these are like the, the weapons I'm going out to battle with. They might hopefully improve with time. You know, hopefully, today I'm going to have a bow and arrow. Hopefully when I'm older, I have a rifle, but, you know, this is what I'm going out to battle with today. So this is what I'm, my game plan is. And you talk to your catcher about it and everyone's on the same page and you use the scouting reports to make that better, but to not create dissonance in your head where you're not sure what you should throw and how it fits in with you. All right, that's it. Dear baseball gods, episode 52. Look for it here on Spotify, YouTube, and iTunes, Stitcher, all those outlets. And again, if you want to support the show, you can do that on my Patreon page. Um, buy one of these lame t-shirts that I have. And uh, just in general, I appreciate you reading my website and uh, we'll catch you next week.